thank you all so much for coming today. I know a special moment for her and for you all. I know we've got friends and we've got parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and everybody here, and so I'm so excited that you joined us uh, this morning for worship, and what a, what a privilege. Trinity, I know you've given your life to Jesus, is that right? And you want to make a commitment to, to let Him be Lord of your life. That's awesome. I know He's got a special plan for you, and that, that He wants to lead you to places that you would never go otherwise, apart from Him. He loves you, and He died for you, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been buried with Christ and raised to new life. Awesome. Good job. She's got a couple of friends up here with her, and, and what a celebration today for, for Trinity and her family. And, and again, thank you all so much. If you would. want to make sure that we, uh, we remember in prayer uh, different folks this week. I, I was actually, I was talking with some folks just a minute ago. I was in Gatlinburg or the Gatlinburg area on Monday when all the wildfires were happening. Some of you knew I was gone. I went to a pastor's retreat just uh, about 10 miles west of Gatlinburg and about uh, five miles southwest of Pigeon Forge. And so I uh, was there and the winds were, we were about two thirds of the way up the mountain and the winds were blowing at about 70 miles an hour or so on top of them. That was insane. And and to kind of put that in perspective, um, some of you have those rocking chairs on your porch, you know, those heavy types from more like Cracker Barrel or whatever, and, and it, it blew those over and just blew them right down the, the deck, and it was like they were lawn chairs. It was uh, it was wild. And so about five miles away toward Pigeon Forge, we could see the fire, and uh, it didn't. It, the wind was blowing in the opposite direction, so there wasn't a major threat for it to get to where we were, but they did tell us don't unpack and so uh it was pretty scary and we could see over the mountain we could see the the glow from the fire in gatlinburg which was much bigger than the one we could actually see and so certainly some folks have have lost their lives in that and and gatlinburg itself and i know many of you have probably traveled there before and maybe maybe you got married there maybe you've spent an anniversary there or just a family vacation or or christmas or whatever and so uh, I don't know all the the extent of the damage. They wouldn't let us into Gatlinburg. Pigeon Forge seemed to be okay, but um, but we went there the next couple of days. But anyway, um, so and and I was telling some folks the the next night to just uh, sort of insult to injury. I suppose the next night we had tornado warnings, and then the following day uh, after that, so that Monday was the fire, Tuesday was a tornado warning, Wednesday was a flood advisory, and so it was just one thing after another. Of course, the flood advisory helped to put out many of the flames, but. But uh, anyway, just a very difficult time for those folks. And uh, and then uh, many of you uh, know Ruth Rogers, uh, one of our beloved church members, has experienced a, a tragedy in her family and so want to be in prayer for her as well. She'll be traveling back, I believe, sometime this week. And so uh, uh, I know many of you have loved on her and ministered to her, and, and she has done that for so many. And so I know... Uh, when she returns, I want to be sure to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to open us in prayer by praying for, for those things. Uh, and so if there are things on your heart right now, I would encourage you, take those to the Lord. Uh, one of the things we don't do very often is to pray uh, in church. And I don't mean me praying, because I pray two, three times every Sunday. But I mean us having the chance to pray. And so I would encourage you, take those things to the Lord. Whatever's on your heart, whatever you showed up with, the issues of life, whatever it may be, Give those to Jesus this morning. Allow him to, to, to take those things off your shoulders and to carry them for you. That's what he said he would do in Matthew chapter 11. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we 
we thank you this morning, uh, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Day. Lord, we know that every Sunday is a commemoration of Easter Sunday, of the, the resurrection. And so, Lord, this morning, in the midst of all that's going on, whether we are directly affected or or not, we Lord, we, we stop this morning just to praise you for for your death and your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that comes through that. We thank you for the forgiveness and the new life. And Lord, this morning as we celebrate Trinity's baptism, Lord, we thank you so much for her. And God, I pray that you would indeed anoint her with your Holy Spirit. Fill her up. Show her, Lord, the path that you want her to take. May she live in obedience to you. May she be a light in this dark world. Lord, I pray for her protection mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually. That, Lord, you would protect her and you would lead and guide her. Lord Jesus, we thank you for saving her soul and for her step of obedience this morning to be baptized. And, Lord, for the folks in and around the Smoky Mountain area, Lord, we know so many have prayed for them and prayed for their protection and prayed for their comfort as they've lost loved ones, and we join them in doing so. And, Lord, uh, just as I looked out one side and saw nothing but the beautiful Landscape and the trees and the clouds on the mountain and the other side saw the fire. Lord, we know that we are not promised anything in life. And so, Lord, I pray that in that, in the confusion and in the desperation that the people in and around Gatlinburg would turn to you. And, Lord, you would strategically place churches and Christians and folks there who will be the light of the world. Lord, I pray that they would have favor with the authorities and Lord, that you would give them opportunity. Lord, this morning we pray for Ruth. As our hearts break with her, God, we lift her up. And she is not only trying to minister to her family, but Lord, she is going through it as well. We, we pray, Lord, for an extra touch of your Holy Spirit, for an extra portion of your grace to fall on her, and that, Lord, she would feel your arms wrapped around her. Lord, we thank you that when we are weak, that you are strong. Lord, for all of us here, for whatever it is that we may be dealing with, however it is we walk through the door, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today. So, Lord, I pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word, that you would speak what it is that you want us to hear, that we would have ears to be receptive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't only go to Gatlinburg this week. I got back on... Thursday evening and Friday morning, I turned around and drove to Cincinnati and took two of my children and picked up my parents in Louisville, and we went to what's called Reds Fest, which is a Cincinnati Reds fan convention. And so you know you're a dedicated fan when you drive five and a half hours and spend more money than you need to to go to Reds Fest, and maybe just for the hope of meeting one of the players or seeing them and so on. You know, sometimes being a fan of a team, is it's easier than others. You know, when your team is winning all the time, and it's real easy to be a fan of your team, but when your team is the Cincinnati Reds, it's, it's tough. And so, uh, you know, you, at least you know you got a pastor who's not going to bail out just when things go wrong because I'm a fan of the Cincinnati Reds, okay? And Louisville lost to Kentucky last week. And, and uh, anyway, it's basketball season, though, isn't it? <laughs> So uh, not yet, maybe not not yet. Maybe 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 it starts. Yeah, soon. Right, it's coming. Yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> anyway, but I'm, I'm a I'm a Reds fan. I always have been. The first team that I ever saw was the Cincinnati Reds. I was three years old in 1980, and my parents took me. And I still have a ticket stub. My very first game, and from that point on, I was sold. It was it was over. I was a Cincinnati Reds fan. 
And so without question, without hesitation, without any reservation whatsoever, without any retreat, I am a Reds fan. Even when I don't understand what they're doing, even when they lose over and over again, even when some seasons are tougher than others, I'm a Reds fan. I still cheer for the team. I still wear my Reds gear and colors. I still go to their fan festival. I still give them my loyalty above any other team. I'm I'm a Reds fan. And this week at Reds Fest, I I thought about it because I knew what I was preaching on this morning. And I was convicted. Because I I wonder if, if only the same could be said about my commitment to Jesus. You probably know what I mean. We all have a thing or a team that we're fans of that we enjoy doing. And sometimes, isn't it true that our devotion to those things or to that team far surpasses our devotion to the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about standing up and cheering and hooping and hollering and all that stuff. I'm just talking about the true heart commitment that sometimes, if we're honest, that our loyalty is stronger to a particular team or franchise or university or whatever it may be than it is to the Lord. Sometimes I find myself more devoted to the Cincinnati Reds than I do to my Savior. And maybe you can relate. This series that we're in is called What Christmas is All About. And as you see on the background there, we're focusing on the words that Linus used to answer the question that Charlie Brown asked in the Charlie Brown Christmas story. Doesn't anybody know what Christmas is all about? And Linus said, I do, Charlie Brown. And he stood up. And he quoted the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And so that's what we're looking at. What is Christmas all about? We sing the songs. We look at the lights. We decorate the tree. We might even come to church. What then, though, is Christmas all about? If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke's over in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we'll be in the second chapter. This is probably something that even if you've not been in church for a while or maybe you don't consider yourself a church person or even a religious person, this is probably something you've heard because I would venture to say everybody in here has at least once in their life seen a Charlie Brown Christmas. And so you've heard these words. I'll be reading this morning from a little different translation than Linus used. But in chapter 2, verse 8... Luke records the story this way. He says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah, or Christ the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. The series that we're in is really just focused on these 
verses. And if you've been with us over the last two or three weeks, we've just slowly and, and methodically worked our way through it. We, we've gotten today to the end of verse 11. That's where we'll be focused on. The angel is said to them in verse 10, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so then he says, here's the good news. Today, a savior who is Messiah or Christ the Lord was born for you in the city of David. We're going to focus on that part, Christ the Lord. Last week, we talked about the great joy that comes from the gospel, that, that there has been born a Savior in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. This week, we're going to focus on those words, Christ or Messiah, the Lord. The Christmas story establishes one thing above all others, and that is that Jesus is both Messiah and Lord. It's, it's not about, as you well know, it's not about the things that we've made of it. It's really not about the lights and the trees and the shopping and the gifts for people you don't know and don't care about. You know, I had a pastor who used to joke, he said, we spend all this money, you know, to buy things for people we don't care about, to impress people that we don't love, just so, you know, we don't feel bad about those. So it's, it's crazy what we do. We spend all this money, and yet we know that's really not what Christmas is all about. It's about one thing, and that is that Jesus has been sent as Messiah and Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the announcement from the angel. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, we get two descriptive and very loaded titles for Jesus, and that is Messiah or Christ, and those things are what we get. Now, the word there, Messiah or Christ, they, they really mean the same thing. It means anointed one. And there's a lot wrapped up in that particular title. There's always more than just the title. Jesus knew exactly what his, his title meant. The, the Messiah was the promised deliverer for the Jews, the one that would restore them, the one that would give them freedom from their oppressors and victory over their enemies. And so this was the long-promised Messiah or Christ, anointed one from the Lord. And in the Old Testament, if you want to make some notes here, in the Old Testament... The, the idea of being anointed pointed to three different anointed roles in the Old Testament. There were three different roles that people were anointed for. Uh, there were prophets. 1 Kings chapter 19 tells us that. There were priests and there were kings. We find in Leviticus 4 and 1 Samuel 24. When, when God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, he took on all these roles. The first, as I said, was the role of prophet. The anointed role of prophet. And that just simply means he's our teacher. When, when Jesus came, he did come to be a teacher for us, to be anointed as a prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets were, were not as much uh, what we think of as foretelling the future as they were just saying, here's what God has to say. And here's what's going to happen if you don't do what God has to say. It's sort of like parents. It's sort of like teachers. It's sort of like a pastor who stands up before you every Sunday morning and says, hey, let me tell you what God has to say. And here are the implications of that, and here's how you can apply it to your life. That's really what the prophet did mainly. They weren't just guys who sort of sat around and heard a word from God about what was going to happen down the road, and then they wrote it all down and told the people, and then it came true. That was part of their role. But the main part of their role was to be a teacher. So Jesus came teaching in parables, in longer discourses, and he was recognized as a teacher. In fact, some people did call him teacher, good teacher. And they asked him questions. And so he, in that role as prophet, came teaching and preaching the word of God. He was the very word of God, the book of John in chapter 1 tells us. And so his teaching was perfect and trustworthy. And it, it, it encapsulated the words of life. Eternal life were found in his words. It was valuable it had to correct and to convict and to encourage. And so Jesus, in his role as anointed one, as Christ, as Messiah, part of that was his role as prophet. The second role I mentioned was the role of priest. 
So you have prophet, then you have priest. And this is all wrapped up in who Jesus was as the anointed one of God, the Christ. And in his role as priest, he was our substitute to go to God on our behalf and make a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there were priests, and you read the, in, the, in the books of law, you read around Leviticus and so on, you'll get the idea and, and understand what they did. But their sacrifice had to be redone over and over and over every year. In fact, we talked about this several months ago, that the priest would offer a sacrifice, but because he was a sinful person, the sacrifice he offered was that of an animal that, that for a year or so took care of the people's sins, and then the following year they'd have to do it all over again. But in Jesus... The anointed and sent priest of God, there was one sacrifice and he was the sacrifice. And that was it. Jesus died once and for all. When Jesus returns one day, he's not going to come back to die again. He will come back the next time, not in in grace, but in judgment to judge the world, the living and the dead. And so the Messiah was predicted to be a faithful, eternal, and perfect priest. And that's who Jesus is. And by his death, he became our high priest, our sacrifice for the Lord. He provides through his death some words that we see in the Bible, words like atonement, which is the idea of covering our sin and removing it. He provides what's called propitiation, which is a fancy Bible term that means that God is no longer angry at us. God's wrath toward our sin. There's another word called redemption, and that is our freedom, that we are no longer bound by the penalty and the power of our sin. There's a word called reconciliation. The Bible tells us, and you may or may not realize this, the Bible tells us that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are not just a good person, that you are an enemy of God. And that apart from Jesus... And his saving grace in my life, I'm not a good person. I'm an enemy of God. But through his death, Jesus reconciled, made peace with us between God and us. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was for our cleansing from the inside out. I tell people this all the time. When I was a youth minister, I used to talk with our teenagers and our parents and our leaders in the youth ministry. And I would tell them, our aim here, our goal is not behavior modification. Do you know how you get somebody to change their behavior? There's one of two ways. Anybody know? You could threaten them. That works sometimes, doesn't it? Until they get bigger than you. Then what? Uh, okay, can't threaten to whoop him no more because he could whoop me. Uh, you probably got that point. It's you know my kids are still smaller than I am, so you know. But it ain't gonna take long because I'm not real big. So you so you could threaten somebody or you could reward them. You know, the, the idea that, that behavior modification, it can come through threaten, threatening or thwarting. And what does it do, however? What does behavior modification do? It changes what? How they act, which makes who different? Nobody. It makes us different, right? Well, we feel a little bit better. If my son is being a knucklehead and I threaten him, you're never a knucklehead, are you? If I threaten him and he changes his behavior, oh, good, okay. Has that touched his heart? Has it done anything for him? Jesus didn't come so that we would just be good people, better people. He came to change our hearts. Trinity's baptism this morning doesn't point to the fact she's just doing something good. Well, good job. We're so proud of you. No, it points to the fact that Jesus has changed her heart, has totally made her new. The Bible tells us that we are new creations when Jesus comes into our life. Jesus also gives us access to the Father. There's no more going through this imperfect priest. 
from the Old Testament. He is our high priest. And the third role that I mentioned is his role as anointed king. In the Old Testament, the kings were anointed to be God's representative for the people to govern them, to rule over them. Jesus served in that role, certainly. In fact, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, his genealogy that he starts the first 17 verses with, listing the family heritage of Jesus,